travel into those churches as well. But next week, Chuck Bomar will be here to teach you. And then after that, you'll see Matt Bowen, who's the pastor of Beaverton. And then you'll see Justin, uh, who is the pastor of Hillsboro. And then I'll be back. So it'll be a good series. And this is being shared by all the churches. This series is built around six values that the elders of Colossae Tired established a couple of years ago. They went away on a retreat, and they prayed and asked God, what are the things that for us are core? What are the things for us that are the most important things? And that's what you're going to be hearing today. I'll talk about gospel rootedness, which is a little bit of a cryptic phrase. I'm curious what you think it means. What, what would you guess that gospel rootedness means? Yeah, bam. Let's pray. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it means. Yeah, we can certainly say a lot more. Any other thoughts come to mind as you think about gospel rootedness? Yeah, Nate? Yeah, the gospel is the epicenter of human, the human story of who God is and what he's done and who we are and what we live for. Yeah. <clears throat> I hope, too, as we go through and talk about this this morning, that we can connect it to every part of daily life because that's the most important part is this isn't just a theological epicenter, but it's a life-living epicenter. It speaks into every day. And it speaks into every value and every purpose and every sense of meaning that we could have. And so we want to make sure that we're translating what is theologically profound into something that is profound in everyday life. And again, this is not new. I know I'm not bringing something to you don't know, but it's something so important to remind you of. So that's where we're going to go. So here we go. We are rooted in one single uh, <clears throat> passage today from Second Corinthians. Paul wrote this. He said, for Christ." Love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Basically what Nate said, right? This is what it is. I had a little bit of a vision this morning and I was, as I was praying for the morning and I was thinking of Palm Springs, California. Who's all been to the Palm Desert, Palm Springs, Indio, familiar with the area? It's a tremendously empty and dry desert. It was long ago. Uh, but now if you go there, it's incredibly green. It has some of the most lush golf courses, I think, probably in the 48 contiguous states. It's just absolutely beautiful. And even when California has droughts, they kind of get to snicker and go, yeah, whatever. Because everyone else will ration water, and, and this area, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, doesn't have to. It's really quite unfair. The reason that's true is because there's a tremendously abundant aquifer under the desert in Palm Desert. It has an endless amount of water. So they're pumping thousands of gallons out of that aquifer every day and watering these incredible golf courses and these lush resorts. It's really a beautiful place to be. That is a good picture of what it, it can be like, what it should be like to be a believer in Jesus. We live in human history when humans are incomplete, and many things don't go as we would like them to. There's tragedy, and there's um, grief, and there's abuse in our life, as well as joy and goodness in life. 
but it's such a mixed life. But points of it can be desert. But if we are aware of the presence of God and the abundance of who he is, and if we are drilled down into the aquifer of the Holy Spirit, we can kind of be that exceptional place where in the middle of a desert, we can be full of life. And I hope that as I say that, you're like, yeah, that's my life. Thank you for describing my life. (laughs) Maybe it's not fully, but maybe it's what you hope for. And I hope today we can talk about pressing in more to this idea that God, God is offering us this aquifer, a well, he said, that springs up inside of you to eternal life, where joy is present, where water is present for life, even though we may live in a desert. So, gospel rootedness. Anybody have an idea what that is supposed to represent? A trajectory? Yeah, for sure. That's involved. I'm calling this the arc of life. And this is the way life tends to go. In fact, this is the arc of almost every good story Every movie, every Disney story, every Marvel story, even every good love story follows an arc similar to this. And that is that there's a starting point, a beginning of some kind, and generally the story starts well. We love to go new, right? New things are amazing. A new car, a new home, a new baby, new is good. And generally, at least the first few hours of new are always positive. New can, can go bad quickly. But... We generally tend to progress and things are good. And then we reach this point where things are really, can it get any better? I love this car. I love what it does. I love that when I walk up to it and I push the beeper, it actually rocks back and forth. Have you guys ever seen that? I, a friend of mine has a Tesla. And he said, hey, let me show you this. And we're walking towards his car and he hits a button. And the car lights go on and the car moves back and forth in the parking spot. Basically saying, I'm over here. Isn't that fun? I know, that's crazy. It's also fun. So that's Tesla right here. You know, this is when it's going good. Uh, This is also when finally Snow White meets the prince and things are going to work out. But every good story somehow goes into this tailspin where things go wrong. Usually there's some evil force that comes against that, that beautiful moment that's happening, and things deteriorate. And then we reach this critical moment where Thanos snaps his fingers and everybody dies, right? Who's seen the movie? Am I by myself? Okay. No, no, that was the first one. That was the first one. That came out months ago. And then there is now oddly, oh, not yet, sorry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> And then Disney movies tend to end right about here, happily ever after, but, but there's a lot more that goes on. So this is the arc of life. This is also the arc of humanity. So let's talk a little bit about the story of Israel. How do we lay the story of Israel on this arc? We do it in this way. This is where Abraham and Sarah get the news, hey, I'm going to start a brand new tribe, a brand new country, a brand new people through you. Abraham, father of many. I'm going to change your your name to father of many. This is funny. You should know how funny this is because they're 75 years old and they're barren. And so there's no children. But I'm going to make a nation out of your children. So things go nicely. He has a couple of sons. His son has a couple of sons. Finally, the third son has 12. Now we're getting somewhere. And these 12 go into exile and become 2 million, it's believed. 
And then what's the pinnacle of the Israelite story here? What would you say is the peak of their story? What's that? I would say the Exodus and Sinai are still on the way up. I think the peak of it is when David is on the throne because they finally moved through the promised land and they're there. David conquers the most territory of any of the kings. So their land is the largest it will ever be. And then after David uh, hands over the throne to Solomon, Solomon is able to get rid of that temporary tent for the presence of God and builds a temple. So in Solomon's reign, you have the largest land possible. You have the most glorious space to worship God possible. Things are good. And then you know the rest of the story, right? We have the many kings. We have a divided country. We have um, exile in Assyria and Babylon. And this is where Jesus shows up. This is why Israel was so disappointed. They are in a political frame of mind. And their understanding is that Jesus will raise up an army and will destroy the Romans and will create the eternal kingdom of God politically. So by the end of the week, of Holy Week, when he doesn't do that, the people that were saying, Hail, King of the Jews, who's come to save us, they're saying what? Crucify him. If you're not the one, if you're not going to answer our prayers, if we've waited all these years, we thought you were it, and you're misleading us, you should die. So this is what happens. The beautiful thing is God was not on a political agenda. He was on a spiritual agenda. He didn't want to create Israel as a nation, as a broken, sinful people, because they would just do this again and again and again. So what God did was, this is where he takes away the power of sin and the power of death through resurrection. This is the ark of life. I wonder if any of you are willing to put yourself on that ark and explain your story. Anybody you kind of right away, you can think of how it goes. And can you tell us in like three minutes the ark of your story? Anybody up for that? All right. Will you come up and take a mic so that we... Well, let me give you a mic. You can stay there, but this has to get on the podcast. Otherwise, there'll be three minutes of dead. <laughs> I have a tendency to do that. I'm going to be Vanna White, and I'm going to point where you are in the ark. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that first part, I can identify with the death. And that's where I was wandering around in the valley of, or the wilderness. And that's where I encountered Christ. But it's not been a straight line. It's been like this. Yep. This is a huge Very gener- much generalization. Like that. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's still like that. Yeah, we could draw a series of these arcs that go up and yeah. get down. But, but overall, they would be on a line like this now, well, not on a line like this, sort right? Sort of gradual. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. You know, the the longer I get into this, the further I see I have to go. Yeah. Seriously. And the more I learn, the more I know I don't know. Sure. Agreed. And to know God is, 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 that's an amazing thing. He's designed us to live in us, and we're to abide in him. That's a oneness. 
And the problem is my, my mind, my soul is still disconnected. Yep, we're incomplete. And that's where the problem is. It's yep. that disconnection. Yep. And that's, yeah. that's where the struggle has been. And that's where Satan can come in and put stuff into my head and I'll buy into it without even knowing I'm buying into it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I would say, Lee, for all of us, this is life before the Holy Spirit. Yes. Just as it was for, for human yeah. history. And so this is, I'm created in the image of God. Right. And so life isn't actually too bad. And I actually get somewhere without God because I'm created in his image. So I'm creative, I'm wise, I'm capable, I can do things, I'm not useless. But we hit a point. I, for you, what was the high point in your life before Christ where you thought, I've got it together, this is good? I'm not sure I ever got there. Well, you've told me of living in New York and you had a great home and some nice cars. Oh, yeah, I had, I had that stuff. I had a nice job and I had nice cars, a nice apartment. I had girlfriends and, and you know, yeah. on, on the syrup, she knows about that. <laughs> <laughs> On the surface, it looked pretty nice. Yeah. But down here, there was nothing. That's just it. Then you realize there was nothing. something triggered you to go deep, deeper into life and say, I'm not fulfilled. And then you start to realize emptiness. Well, what triggered it was I was sitting at a TV set one night. And I came home and started watching the news at 5, and pretty soon it was 11. And a thought came into my head and said, well, you've given this thing about five, six hours of your time. What do you got from it? Wow. And I, that, that grabbed me. I said, well, what did I get from it? I didn't get anything from it. Yeah. A little bit of entertainment, but so what? Emptiness, yeah. And, and that got me on this, this path. Well, what is, what is worth mm-hmm. giving your life to? Exactly. And I couldn't find anything. I had God. I figured I had my ticket to heaven. Mm-hmm. That was sold up. Yeah. But that didn't enter the, that didn't enter the equation. Yeah, that's just deism, where we believe there is a God, and somehow he kind of is benevolent towards us. Well, and the whole idea right. was just to get to heaven. Right. Yep. The, the concept of knowing God, that was foreign to me. There you go. Yeah. But anyway, that just went on and on, and the further I got into that, the further I went into despair, and I figured, well, there isn't. I, I actually could understand why people could commit suicide. I don't yeah. mean to give my testimony here this morning. Well, that's kind of what I asked for, so you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. No, so good. anyway. Yeah, thank and you. And then I that. met God, and that was changed my whole life. Right? But gradually. Yeah. For sure. That's exactly what we're talking about. I appreciate that so much, Lee. And it, it, this so often is the moment where we meet Jesus. So, yeah. Um, this is, I would say this is the gospel moment. This entire arc is the story of God and creation before, and before Jesus and after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is creation. This is man trying to live without the fullness of God, finding out it doesn't work. This is gospel right here. And so for you, as Lee said, this is where I finally realized my emptiness and my despair. And when I got to here, I met Jesus, and he leads me out. He gives meaning. He gives purpose. He gives hope. That's gospel rootedness. So the whole story hinges on this event. And so when Paul writes, Christ's love compels us, he hopes and believes he's talking to a people that are never forgetting the significance and the power and the reality and the life that they now have here. And unfortunately, 
I was thinking through the story of the rich young ruler, and Jesus said about him how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And here's one way I think we can understand that. As a rich person in the world, we, this just keeps going. And because of what I experience in the flesh and in human life, I never feel like there's a desert. I never feel like anything's missing. There's this constant sashi, uh, sashi. There's this constant fulfilling of my desires, <laughs> satiating my desires. And so I don't sense the need. I don't sense the emptiness, and I'm able to keep going. So when Jesus said, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. In other words, take a, an economical dive, come off of the mountain of this economical hope that you've lived with. He said, I can't do that. This is too good. And I, I'm just not willing to do that. Jesus wanted to bring him into this spot of emptiness because he knew that the, that the riches that he had were false. It was a false ark. This was not reality. And he was down into here. And I believe that in many ways, we in the United States are as a nation like the rich young ruler. We are actually able to create a fairly decent daily life in our culture. And it's enough to keep going. The emptiness still shows up. Um, we still sense that things are broken, but by and large, we're able to, to shore up this idea that no, life is actually pretty good and I don't have the desperation. What came along back in the 50s and 60s was a gospel that was very, very tiny. And what that gospel tried to say was, yeah, but when you die, yeah, but when you die, what's going to happen? And so the great evangelical question was, if you were to die today, what would happen to you? And there was this attempt to bring people into a consciousness of the fear and the, the, uh, the actual horror of death and emptiness and no life after death. And so that was an attempt to do that. But that's not enough. That's not gospel rootedness. That's almost um, terror rootedness. That's like bringing us to a theological point that is truly terrorizing so that we respond. And that's, not re that's truth, but it's not the way of gospel rootedness. The story that, that God wants us to be in, Jesus never started with the question, do you know what will happen to you when you die? In fact, he never addressed that question in his entire life. What was the question Jesus always started with? What do you want? What can I do for you? And this is gospel. Gospel is you lack I come in the name of my Father, and I lack nothing. I have it all. I have life. I have healing. I have bread when I pray. I have the ability to turn water into wine. I have it all. And Jesus wants to show that first, that you are incomplete, that you, you are empty, and you as a human are always going to be in need but I will meet you at your point of need and I will meet the need and I will take you towards abundance. But that whole story of economy and food and healing is only the upper crust. The, the real power and beauty of the story is you may not even know it, but you have deep spiritual need. You, you tend toward lovelessness. You tend toward selfishness. You tend toward abuse you tend toward a lack of care for others. And that's another deep need. <clears throat> and I'm sure the question he wanted to hear most often was, 
God, I'm a loveless person. What do you need from me? I need love. I need goodness. I need kindness. I need hope. That's what I need. And then again, Jesus' answer is the same. I have that. I have it. I come from my father who has all good things and he's entrusted them to me and he gives those things. And that's what Jesus did in the gospel. And so this is what it means for us to be rooted in the story of Jesus. Gospel is good news. The good news is whatever our emptiness, whatever our lack, Jesus has an answer. Jesus has a remedy. Jesus has a provision. So that's the story that we want to live in as Colossae churches Uh, Our hope is that all of us are well aware of this story and that we are carrying with us that story constantly so that as we move about in a neighborhood or where you work or within the context of your family, you're asking that same question. What do you need? You say to your daughter who's not happy and who's struggling, what do you need? You say to your neighbor whose marriage is on the rocks and he doesn't know what to do, And we say, what do you need? And our answer is not, I'm Jesus and I have that. (laughs) Our answer is, I will pray to you. I will pray for you to the Father. And And I want to invite you to get to know Jesus who has an answer for you, who has the provision that you need. This is what Paul meant when he said, Christ's love compels us. The story is so good for me that I can't not tell it to you. The hope that we have within us for ourselves and for everyone else is so complete, I can't keep it to myself. And somehow in our humanity, we lose that. And we get to odd places where we can actually say, I'm uncomfortable with sharing the gospel story, or I'm afraid, or I don't know what to say. And I would say to you that when we are in those places, we're really forgetting the story. We're preoccupied with this exchange of communicating. We're preoccupied with the how. But in that moment, we're not compelled by the love of Christ because we're really not in touch with the story as much as we need to be. This is a part of why we get together every Sunday is to, hey, let's remember the story. It's why we go to the table to remember the story. And it's why we keep preaching the same similar sermons week after week. At 60 years old, I don't think I've heard a new sermon in 20 years. (laughs) We're saying the same things in fresh ways to bring life to them. But the story is always the same. Be in touch with the gospel. Be in touch that you have drilled down through the desert into the aquifer of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Your plumbing works for life, for spiritual life. Are you turning on the tap every day? Are you washing up? Are you drinking? Are you bathing? Are you living in the fullness of Jesus in us and with us? And are you continually experiencing the good news of the gospel that Jesus pretty much is available every day? And he's saying again to you when you get up in the morning, what do you need? What do you need today? Today's going to be a challenging day. I've got this conversation I have to have and I don't want to have it. I can help you with that. Here's some peace. Here's some really good words to share in that conversation. And sadly, unfortunately, we get up a lot in the morning and go, gosh, this is going to be awful. I can't wait till it's over. And we forget to turn on the plumbing and ask Jesus to join us with his abundance and with his wisdom and with his peace to say, I can make a day that you're kind of regretting actually be a really good day. 
I redeem everything. I redeem humans. I redeem stories. I redeem marriages. And I even redeem days. That's what I do. I'm Jesus. (laughs) That's the story that we're rooted in. And my prayer for us as we continue up this slow, steady climb is that we will get to a point where we kind of can say, gosh, I get it. This is enough, Jesus. You've done it so consistently in my life. Every time I turn to you, every time I turn on the tap, every time I pray, you show up, you respond, you comfort, you meet my need. I'm overwhelmed. I've got to tell others. And I just, I feel like as a church, this is, this is my goal in, in all that I share and all that I say is I'm just waiting for us to get full enough to overflow. I kind of feel like we feel like we're kind of empty. And we're a little too preoccupied sometimes with life above the ground and all that's there. And we're not, you know, we're not drilling down. Uh, And I pray that you drill down. And I pray that you live in the fullness of the gospel every day. That Jesus is right there. When things are horrible, he's still there. This, This line isn't a line of perpetually good circumstances. This is a line of perpetually knowing more and more every day that God has this, that God is in control, that God is present, that God will redeem the horrifying things that happen in the broken relationships. This line is hope. It is not circumstances. This line is faith. It is not circumstances, but it's the line that we're on. If we're rooted in this gospel story, what do you need? I have it. What do you need? I have it. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me how this hits you right now. Yes. It's a hope that can occur to us when we repetitively experience the downs of life, but we know we're still on that trajectory and even that. Yes. Well said. So good. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, Laura. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else relate to that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Being being a little bit. I'll, let me add to that and then come back to you. Yeah. One of the things I would say uh, after a few more years of living, I think I got you by thirty, twenty five, twenty seven, twenty seven. Thank you. <laughs> um. Somehow we feel the need and the responsibility to work for this. Like I didn't read my Bible enough. I, 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 I've done some things wrong. I'm not doing all the right things, and therefore. And, and God has said, said it so often that now I believe it. And Tricia and I were talking about this. God is saying, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just asking you to believe. 
I've got it. I know it's unfair, but I do all the work. I know it's unfair, but I'm the faithful one. (laughs) Jesus says, I do it all. I just need you to believe it. I just need you to be aware of it and acknowledge it. I just need you to come to me in the morning and say, I know you're there. I know you've done all the work. And you just ask me, come with me. Don't go today alone. Come with me. I'm already out there. I'm already at that meeting you dread, getting it ready. I'm already out there in front of you. Just come with me. No work. Just go. It's super unfair. (laughs) But that's the definition of grace. Not by works so that no human can boast. Jesus has done all the work. He just says, I just need you to accept it. I just need you to believe it. I just need you to trust me. Even trust can feel like work. I get that for sure. But the work's been done. Yeah. Derek, what was on your mind? Well, I think you got most of it. But, uh, <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yes, we live in a reality that's incomplete where we don't see things as as good as they are. Uh, And then God lives with this reality that Jesus and Paul constantly spoke at. You are already seated in heavenly places. You are a royal. You are, you are, you are. And he's not saying these hopeful things that will be. He's speaking God reality. No, this is just true. I'm sorry you don't believe it, but you're living at this level because you're with me. And so this life that we're in is getting off of this level of disbelief to this level of belief. Yeah, that's really well said. So good. Yeah. If you have uh, preschool kids, it's time to go get them. And then while you do that, Tom, what are you thinking? Okay. Where Laura is at? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, perfect love drives out no, fear, right? Perfect. Well, complete love, complete love, yeah. Right. Yes.
Yes, good words. I'm sorry if you couldn't all hear them. I want to recap one thing, though, that, that comes to me as Tom says that. Paul said, if the Father gave the Son away to death, how much more will he give us everything we need for life and godliness? And what Paul was wanting to say there is, realize the degree to which God went can't get any greater. The death of Jesus Christ is as massive as love gets. So why would God stop there and then say, now you're on your own to make it work out? But if he freely gave his son, will he not now freely give his spirit? Will he not now freely give provision? Will he not now freely give all things so that we can be complete? Let's pray. Our Father, it's good to, uh, to remember again and to talk again about what you've done in Jesus. And we understand, God, how wise you were to give us all a season without you to understand emptiness and to understand distance and to understand fear and to understand lovelessness and loneliness so that when you came to offer all of those things, we were hungry and we weren't full and Father, we, we confess that in this country, in the abundance of what is around us, it's easy to stay full of other things. But we ask you, Father, to make us sensitive to our spiritual stomachs and let us feel our own hunger for you. Please pull us away for moments to let go of <clears throat> the abundance on the top and reach down to the abundance that's underneath Father, we want to live out of the abundance of Christ. We want to be compelled by your love so that we love others, so that we have a hard time restraining the good news because it's so alive inside of us. Father, would you give us your love for those who don't know the story yet, for those who haven't met yet Jesus yet. Please, Father, give us eyes to see. You've set us on a safe island here as Colossae Sherwood. You've given us shalom together. You've given us good news. You've given us good food and fellowship and love and safety. Please send us out to share. Send us out to invite. Send us out to share the gospel. We pray.